Um, the word of the day today, kids, is going to be law. And I want you to be listening for what that, that, that word, as, as I'm kind of sharing some of today's message, okay? We'll have some pictures and stuff up as well. Uh, so you can be kind of listening to the message today to be listening in as well, kids. Uh, and then what I want to do is I want to I want to just as we transition here to the message, uh, we put this video together. Actually, Ian and his team put this video together, and we're going to be listening to this video uh, over the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, and it's just kind of a little, it's just a, a little idea to get us thinking about what Lent is. So, guys, go ahead and roll the video as we get ready for the message. You may ask, what is Lent? How does one celebrate Lent? And why? The answer to this can be found in years of church history. It is not a celebration directly found in the Bible, but rather a way that the church has decided to help celebrate one of the greatest holidays of all, Easter. History says that Christians chose to prepare for Easter by joining in fasting. They chose to fast for 40 days in connection to Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights while being tempted by Satan. The purpose of this season is for us to reflect on our relationship with God. That through our baptism, we are in a relationship with Him. That by His suffering, we are saved. So as we look forward to Easter, how can we be preparing, reflecting and repenting in preparation for the celebration of Easter? Some people ask me, what is Lent? I thought Lent was a Catholic thing. Uh, what, what, what's going on? Why is the dwelling doing a thing called Lent? Or why are we even talking about that? And so this is, I, I really like that idea of, uh, there's so many different angles you could talk about that, but you know, Lent is this, as was kind of shared, a, a fasting to focus. Uh, do you have to fast? Is Lent in the Bible or something like that? No. Okay, we don't have to celebrate Lent. You don't have, no, no, no. Do you have to fast in, in order to get God to celebrate Easter or something? No. But it's a helpful way for us to think about, it's a helpful way for us to think about and process our own sin and our own need for God and who he is. And so the church has found it helpful. It's a, it's a helpful kind of thing that we can do if God leads you to do that, to lean into um, uh, this kind of celebration of Easter. So we'll be hearing that that kind of reminder over the next couple weeks. Uh, if you're in, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter seven. Uh, Romans chapter seven. Uh, that's where we're going to be camping out today uh, to, to to spend a little bit of time in a message. I think this is one of the most practical, relevant chapters in the entire Bible. It's actually a chapter that in some ways, even though to teach it, there is a lot of nuances and things that we could talk about. There's something about the just reading of this text that will relate to you. You'll just, you'll just, you'll just know it to be true. You'll just, as I read through some of this today, you'll just make a connection and be like, yeah, that's my life. That's what I experience. And so there's something incredibly practical about today's message that I get excited about. There's honestly, I'm biting off way more than I can chew by trying to preach an entire message over one chapter like this. But this is just the rhythm we're in and I'm going to kind of keep us in so we keep them on moving uh, through the book of Romans, okay? So 
Last week, we kind of ended with this idea being that in baptism, Romans chapter 6, you can kind of go read that if you haven't, if you need to catch up. Romans chapter 6, in Christ, we've been baptized into his death and his resurrection. And so we're actually connected with baptism, through baptism, to Christ. So there's something incredibly important about baptism that we tried to really highlight last week. If you want to hear and know and think about baptism a little bit more, I'd encourage you to go listen to last week's message. Um, and, and again, if, those are, if there's people who are wondering about, hey, I'd like to be baptized, please let's get that conversation going, okay? But we also talked about how baptism brings us into a bit of a battle. And there's a tension as we live in, in what I talked about last week in the now. There's things we have now in Christ and the not yet. There's a not yetness to being in Christ. There's things to still come as well. And we talked about living in that tension and some of that battle almost that comes with that. And so that's where I want to, I, I, I got a picture here of a, of a, um, a, a uh, armor, some armor coming on somebody, and there's there's something about that that's just true to our text today too. It it carries over from chapter six into chapter seven, and there's there's some warfare feel to it, and you'll 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 notice that as I kind of engage our reading. Okay, so what I'm going to do is is just kind of read and then preach, read and then preach, just like kind of last week. Okay, so Romans chapter seven. If you have your Bible, or if you want to follow on the screen, you can. I'm in the ESV translation. Romans chapter 7, here we go. Or do you not know, brothers? No, 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 no. Let, let's stop. Let's just pray. I want to pray quick, and then we'll read, okay? Lord, we just come before you right now. Even as we engage your word here, we know, God, that we need you. We need you to be the one who actually teaches us. Uh, Jesus, I know for me, I, I am so... To teach what you're teaching here can only be done really through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so just, even though there's things that it, it'll make sense and we'll hear it and we'll be like, man, that's my life. There's so much here to chew on. So just open our ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. And may it penetrate our ears and penetrate into our hearts. And we pray that boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now let me start. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So there's something about here, the lordship. I'm just going to bring that term in because you, you actually see this in a couple of these chapters. There's a reigning of sin, but there can also be a reigning of the law. And when I kind of when we think law here, we might think of the commands of God, or you might think just kind of broadly the Ten Commandments. So something like, "Don't have you shall have no other gods before me," or something like that. These laws, okay, what, what's going on there? Well, there can actually be a reigning and a lordship of the law that can become problematic. And Paul here is going to unpack this for us a little bit, okay? Speaking those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now he's going to move into an illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, 
she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, there's that illustration connection. I'm using this as a way to teach something here. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. You can see how people could take this illustration and make a bunch of wrong connections and wrong moves. Here's ultimately what he's just simply trying to say. Just like a husband and wife in marriage, they're, they're freed from that law of marriage or boundness when there's death. And what he's saying here is he's saying, you in Christ have died to the law. And now you're married and you actually can be married to another. Well, who can you be married to? Christ. The gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done for you. We've died to the law. And so this illustration already, although it might feel like it's confusing, if you just kind of unpack it, that's all the connection really is here. He's trying to really say is there's a dying that occurs to the law. The law doesn't have to reign in your life anymore. And I'm going to show you Paul unpacking this from his own life and his own experience. Look at uh, verses 5 and 6. And th 5 and 6 is really setting up the next like ha dozen verses, okay? Uh, verse 5 here, I even put a little, a little square around this verse in my Bible, kind of talking about this as Paul is an unbeliever. Listen, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And then I put a little square around six with a red uh, pen, and I put basically, th this is believing Paul. Listen, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The rest of today's message is going to be unpacking for us. Paul before he became a Christian, which I would argue is verses 7 through 13, and then Paul as a Christian, verses 14, and I'm going to actually take us all the way through because I don't think the chapter break is the probably best place to break the chapter. Uh, at chapter 8, verses 4, okay? But this picture that he paints of himself before he became a follower of Jesus and this picture of what life looks like after he's become a follower of Jesus is fascinating to me because of the image that he ends up depicting. And it might just surprise you. And my hope is actually that it will surprise you. So let's be listening in. Here's Paul as an unbeliever. Chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? So, so he kind of makes this quick, throws it out there. So you, is the law then bad? No. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, now just follow this here. 
But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from, the, apart from the law, sin lies dead. I'm going to bring up a quote here in a second, but not quite yet. But I'm going to bring up a quote that's going to highlight that verse. Sin actually lies dead if it's apart from the law. I was once alive apart from the law. Notice that. He's talking here about before being a Christian. He said, I was alive. I was walking around. I was sucking air. And you could even maybe push that to mean a little bit further uh, as you kind of look at Paul's life. I thought I was alive. I even was alive. Sin, uh, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So the commandment began to do something new on his life. Just stick with me here. I'm going to get to some fun stuff in a second. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Was it the law that brought death to me? You know, just in case somebody's trying to say that he's saying that, that the law is bad. No, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What's he talking about here? What's going on? This, I would argue, is Paul talking about his past life as an unbeliever. And what he's saying here in, in a bunch of these different verses, but I, I like this, uh, verse 9 um, verse 9 here, but I was one, you don't have to bring it up, Lyle, but I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I die. See, the law, you shall not do something. The law is oftentimes treated in such a way as a way to think about what is our morality or our, our way of living in its connection with some deity. I remember meeting a, a, a gentleman named uh, Kevin. I remember meeting Kevin, who's a Buddhist, and I still pray for Kevin on a regular basis. I've met him one time. He could walk in right now, and I wouldn't know who he is. Okay, I, I forgot what he looks like and stuff. I pray for Kevin quite a bit, though. But, but Kevin is a Buddhist who I, I was paying. I was paying a check to at a restaurant, and we, and we just got talking for about five minutes. And, and Kevin is this Buddhist who, as we were talking, it became very evident that he saw Christianity as simply another way of thinking about living a good moral life. And that morality and its relationship to some deity, whatever you might say is that deity, is what's most important. And so do the best you can do. Do the best you can do as a Buddhist or a Christian or whatever it might be. And, and you're rock, ready to rock and roll, baby. And a lot of what our culture, you know, I've preached on this therapeutic, moralistic deism, which I see prevalent in our society today. That's that moralistic side. And it even has infiltrated itself into the church. This idea that we have to do all this stuff in order to get right with God at some level. And it, what, what the, the picture I want to paint for you is something like this little creek here. Creek? You call it a creek or a creek here in Texas? A creek? A creek. Okay, it's a creek. 
Which one is it really? Is it a crick? I don't even know. I think I say crick. What do you say online? Well, listen to you guys. What do you guys got for me here this morning? Crickers? I don't know if we got any creakers or crickers. I'm watching. Let us know online. Crick or creak? So it's kind of like this creak. If your life is set up and centered around the law, and the law is reigning in your life, What you have to do, what you have to do is make it so that at least whatever I do, there's a possibility of me being able to attain some kind of connection with deity. And so if you want to jump from one side of the creek to the other side of the creek, you need to make sure the creek is narrow enough. You got to make sure the creek is narrow enough because otherwise you're never going to get to the other side. And what Paul is painting for us a picture of here is he's saying, the law was reigning in me. I was living my life by the law, but what I was able to do is keep, keep God close enough. The, the creek narrow enough, I had to keep the creek narrow enough so that I could keep working my tail off, doing squats and, and, and working my calves and doing everything I can to jump across the creek. But what if the creek gets a little bigger? What if it's like this? Okay, see, the last creek, most of us could jump across. What about this one? See, now we have to start laying maybe some logs down or something. Okay, that's a little bit bit further. Or maybe we have to start doing some more squats. Or we got to do some more stuff so we can get across the creek. What about this guy? Go ahead, Lyle, show me the next one. What about this guy? Who's jumping across this guy? See, what if the creek is wider than you think it is? See, now we're looking at it, and some of us are like, I could get across that. I could make it. Running start, I could do it. Some of you are thinking that. Some of you are like, I wouldn't have even tried to cross the first one. Okay. What if it's a little bigger? Okay. See? What happens, what happens when the demands of the law begin to, to show you and reveal to you that the creek is a little wider than you thought it was? What happens then? If, the, if moralism is your center, if morality and living a good life is your center to attain some kind of relationship or connection to the other side or the deity... If that's going to be your ultimate way of living life, which I would argue is predominant in our society today. If that's the way you're going to live your life, then that creek better be really narrow. But what he's he's showing here is he's showing the law, even though I was alive to the law. What he's saying is, I thought I could do it. I thought I could do enough squats. I thought I could do enough run sprints and get my body into shape enough that there could come a point where maybe I could even jump across a little bit further. Do I have another big one or no? Is that? Yeah. Okay. What about this guy? Now, what about this guy? And so now it's just, Paul's like, okay, even if it's that big, maybe I can do enough to get across. Maybe there's a moment where I could jump across that thing. This is how he's living his life. 
But the law, there came a moment where the law did something to him. And look at it. Look at verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. <laughs> because here's what happened. Here's what happened. Uh, it, what, the problem is so much bigger. The problem is so much bigger than we realize. Look at this picture. Look at this picture of here, the ocean. What do we got? Okay, now try jumping across from Florida to Africa. What if that's the problem? What if the law... Actually, it deceived you into thinking, ah, I can keep the creek pretty small. What if the problem all of a sudden becomes revealed to you? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, if I keep the creek small enough, yeah, okay, I don't have a lot of gods in my life. I don't bow down to any statues. What if it all of a sudden makes, it opens your eyes to see, oh, snap, I've already had other gods before. I'm already And all of a sudden, the gap between you and the deity is you trying to jump from Florida to Africa. It doesn't matter how many squats you do. doesn't matter how many sprints you do. doesn't matter how many attempts you do. You will never make it. You're never going to do the jump. Ever. No culture that teaches you something like, if you just set your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. No, you can't. Not this one. Not this one. Sin is this bad. Do you see that? It's this bad. Look at this quote. I just want to show you what, what sin, what sin, what the law did in Paul's life. Look at this. I like this. Before sin was present, this was from a commentary, before sin was present like a sleeping dog. This is the unbeliever Paul. It was like a sin was in his life, but it was asleep. But when it got kicked up, you know, it got kicked, woke up, roused up. That was through the command. So there came a moment where Paul was playing this game with the commandments of God, keeping the creek small enough, but there came a moment where it sprung up. It, it, made, it, it opened up his eyes to the actual gap between him and God. Are you following me? Is two pe are two people following me? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Look at Paul, the way he describes his life. Look at the way he describes his life in Philippians. I preached on this last summer. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 4. Listen to this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, what he's saying here is, if anybody else thinks they can do the moral thing and live life morally good and all that stuff, I am the best. I did the best at it. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Under the law, under the game that I had set up in my life, I was blameless. How many people today think they're such a good person? How many people today when you ask them, are you a pretty good person? I'm a pretty good person. 
Because the game playing here is all you have to do is compare yourself to other people. And you start looking pretty good. Man, I'm telling you, this is some good stuff here. And my prayer is it opens a few people's eyes to how big the gap really is. Because when Paul understood that he could... Oh, snap. I got to jump from Florida to Africa? That's the game-changing moment. That's the game-changing moment for so, so many people. The gap is too wide. You can't go to church enough times. You can't read your Bible enough times. You can't... All that stuff is good. And if it flows from a relationship with God, or even if it flows from a pursuit of a relationship with God, in some way you can talk about that. Yes, that's fine. But those things alone, reigning in your life, do not move you from the place of Florida to Africa. You need a miracle. You need something bigger than that. And and Paul's going to start sharing this in just a second. So it's something we're thinking about. Let's let's transition here just a little bit to Paul as a Christian. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Commentaries talk about this in different ways. Um... But I want to just point out that verses 14 through verse 25, the pronoun I, the first person pronoun I is used 41 times. And it's used, the verbs in these these texts are used in the present tense. So there would be commentaries, which they're wrong, but that would try to say that this is still Paul as an unbeliever. And they would try to make the change at chapter 8 to Paul as a believer. This is some teaching that's even crept into the church. We wouldn't hold to that. Here we begin to see, especially since it's fairly clear from just reading the text itself, 41 times present, the pronoun is present right now, first person singular, and the verbs are present tense. He's taught, this is Paul talking. This is Paul talking about himself. Listen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I don't even understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is schizophrenic Paul here. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. This would be, uh, really, that'd be another example of this being the Christian Paul here. In my inner soul, having been regenerated from the Holy Spirit, 
I have a desire in that inner being to do what is right. That'd be another uh, example of where I see this being the Christian Paul talking. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can anybody relate to this? I know I can. That is my life. That is my life right there. As a believer in Jesus Christ, and when I read that, I am like, that's me. To the T. And I want to point out a few things about this. I want to point out that this is not little baby Christian Paul. This is not Paul just becoming saved or something. We know that he writes this letter from Corinth to the church in Rome after he's done all of his missionary journeys. This is church planting, missionary, on fire for Jesus, Paul. And he's saying, so often I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. And I've got this inside of me. This battle. What do we do? What do we do when that kind of life is being experienced? Because I'm telling you, that's what we as followers of Jesus experience all the time. So what do we do? Am I talking to you online people? I, no, nobody here ever says amen. Do we got any amens on there? Woo! I got to get me an amen church going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this tension that we undergo. I want to I read another commentary's quote, uh, a quote from another commentary done. Spiritual conflict is the sign of life. Spiritual conflict is a sign of life, a sign that the spirit is actually having his say in the shaping of character. Since life now must be life in this body of flesh, meaning we aren't with Jesus in, in eternity yet, we still are here, we still sin, we still make mistakes, even though in Christ we are perfect, in Christ we have access to all the keys of the kingdom, so the Spirit can be present only as paradox and conflict. I thought, man, that's not too bad. That's a pretty decent quote. That speaks to me. That seems like what's going on here. There's conflict as followers of Jesus. And when there's often, often when people come to me and they, they look, they're like, man, I'm struggling. I don't even know if I'm a believer. One of the things I'm like, man, the very fact that you struggle with that, that's a sign of the Spirit working. The Spirit of God is working some stuff there. Thank you, Booyah. Keep it coming. The Spirit of God is working some stuff there. Paul is saying here, what, what scares me the most is the person where the law is reigning and they're actually asleep. The dog still is asleep in them. So what do we do? Well, I think we do exactly what Paul does. The first thing he does there in verse 24, notice, this is spiritually mature Christian missionary church planting Paul, greatest missionary of all time. 
What does he say in verse 24? Wretched man that I am. I see the gap. My eyes see the ocean in front of me. And I can't jump across it. Never going to happen. That's the first thing he does. It's called repentance. That's called repentance. That works through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would challenge that even as followers of Jesus, we live lives of repentance. We actually walk in repentance as believers. Today, in our little uh, communion time, with, with some of the kids and some of the adults that are going to join that. One of the things we're going to teach today is that communion is not about coming up to receive God's gifts because you've cleaned up your life. It's actually going up, holding out your hand because you see the gap that you can't jump across. That's the life of a Christian. Poor in spirit. Beating the breast, who walks away most justified, Jesus says. I mean, it's just nonstop. And so we recognize the gap and we repent of our sin. Look at verses, uh, well, I want to just point out, we look to Christ. Look at verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is a conflict within me. But notice that he repents, he looks to Christ. I'd also point out the future verb in verse 24, who will deliver me, and then he does look to Christ. So I just want to point out that he repents, he looks forward to Christ, and then verses 1 through 4 here, he looks back to what Jesus has done. Just look at this. He reminds himself, chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, There is therefore, that therefore is very important because that connects us to that previous stuff. So that's where I don't like that break there at chapter 8. I didn't want to end today before that. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is for you, baptized child of God. This is for you, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law and all of its repetitions of of squats can't get you across. And so by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law in order that the jump from Florida to Africa might be fulfilled in us. In order that the jump from Florida to Africa might happen. Happens through Christ. And now we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, which is going to propel us into next week's message. So there is a life of living this out and living in righteousness and walking in righteousness that we get to keep talking about. But just like in chapter 6, sin reigned in your life, so a similar problem in chapter 7 where the law can reign in your life. And so if that is you this morning, that the law is beginning to reign in such a way that you think you can jump across this little creek, then you're playing a game. 
And the law hasn't done its full effect on you yet. Because the law will drive you to see you can't keep it. I think of the little baby inside Jackie's womb right now. We got number five on the way. We're so excited. That little baby growing inside, guess what? That little baby has the effects of sin already in its life. You know how we know that to be true? Because we've already been taught and looked at in Romans here that, that, that sin reigns in death. And we know that little baby can die. Do you see that? That little baby could die. So already, a little baby growing inside seems so cute, seems so innocent. No, the gap is so huge for you, little baby. You need a savior. You need a savior. Let me end like this. Jesus has already done Jesus has already done what we need to do. <laughs> that requirement of the law, it does need to be met. The jump from Florida to Africa needs to happen. It's just, it needs to be from Jesus to us. And that's what he did for you and for me on the cross. That's what he offers every single person in this room, every single per person watching right now. It is for you. May your eyes be opened to see the gap. You can't accomplish it yourself. Jesus. Jesus is the one who accomplishes this. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This is why Jesus had to come as a man. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is what Jesus gives to you today. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Open our eyes to see how big the gap really is. May the law do that work in us. But if we stop just there and let the law reign in us, that will only cause even more death. And I, I see, Lord, in this text today, a struggle that so many people have in and outside the church. Help us to do exactly what Paul says to do, what he does. What a wretched man am I. But thanks be to Jesus who gives us the victory in what he has done for us. May that be true for every person here, God. May we repent of our sin. May we look forward to you and your work and activity in our life. And may we remind ourselves what you have done for us. Daily, walking that baby out, waking up in the morning. I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I need you. I'll look to you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to walk that baby out every single day. We love you, Lord. We trust in you. We're just going to keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.